Welcome to our monthly recollection. You can think of a recollection as a mini-retreat that lasts for one hour and a half. St. Jose Maria, the founder of Opus Dei, recommended setting aside a time for recollection every month. He knew that these moments of intimacy with God are essential for our spiritual life. Before we begin, two pieces of advice. First, if possible, find a place where you can be offline and at peace for a couple of hours. A nearby church, a public park, or a quiet room in your house. Second, you will listen to talks and meditations, but the real recollection unfolds in the silence of your heart. Feel free to pause this podcast at any moment to confide your thoughts and feelings to Christ. This recollection will begin with a meditation, a time of prayer led by a priest. Without further ado, let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. The apostles followed our Lord closely, and he demanded much of them with great uh, hope in the big catch. Jesus, you have a love for souls. You want all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you asked for laborers in your field and giving them great hope and strength but at a price, the price of everything. After that great catch of fish, of course, St. Peter was there and the others, and he said to them, do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You see the dedication that these apostles will live in spite of their faults. They will become great saints. Yes, with a price. They left everything and followed him. That's what the saints do. And that's what St. Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei, did with his life. He followed the Lord. He gave everything. Here we are in the month of June. It's uh, a a good time to consider the life of, of St. Josemaria. The saints inspire us. We look at the lives of the saints and, and in a certain way they give us a, a little glimpse into, into the way to live. Even a bit of hope. Well, maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can do more for God myself. Maybe I have, have a chance of being a saint. We're all called to be saints. This is God's will for you, St. Paul says, your sanctification. And so let's, with the help of the saints, with the help of St. Jose, let's strive to be saints. Yes, we're all called to be saints. That was the message that St. Jose preached his whole life, called by God to found Opus Dei, with the goal of sanctifying everything in everyday life, a very hidden way usually, ordinary sacrifices, uh, patience with others, a deep prayer life, 
sanctified work. That's the way that God wants all people in the middle of the world to, to live, to try to be a saint. And this with great joy. I was like a little description that someone wrote about St. Josemaria at the beginning of a book. Like Nietzsche, you said that you could only believe in a God who could dance. Well, I assure you he can. I've known a man who danced with God. That's a nice little description of the life of St. Josemaria. A man who danced with God. He encouraged us to joyfully fulfill the adventure, the adventure of seeking holiness, the adventure of leaving everything behind and giving God our best, the adventure of beginning again and again, because we're, we're, we're by no means perfect. And that would give us a, a certain consolation, to be sure, gives us a consolation when we see our faults. Yes, we too can be men, women who dance with God in our daily lives. God loves us unconditionally. God is my loving Father. St. Josiah based his whole spiritual life on that truth. God is my loving Father. God never gives up on me. And therefore I have every reason to dance with God throughout my life. There are some phrases, I think, that sum this up a bit. In the life of St. Josemaria, a certain vision that he had, that God gave him, at the beginning of his life, he would repeat that uh, aspiration from Scripture, Domine ut vidia, Lord that I may see, from the blind man in the Gospel who approaches Jesus, and Jesus says, well, what do you want of me? And that man responds, Domine Udvidia, Lord, that I may see. And St. Josemaria used that phrase, that prayer, in his own spiritual life. As a young man, an adolescent really, he knew that God wanted something of him. He'd seen those footprints in the snow. Perhaps you've heard that story in the life of St. Josemaria. He was 17 years old or so saw some footprints in the snow one morning in winter and where he lived in Spain at the time with his family. And something stirred in his heart, seeing those footprints that turned out to be of a discalced Carmelite, part of their sacrifice, not to wear shoes even when it snowed. And, and so he saw footprints and something stirred in his heart. And basically he, he thought, well, if this man is doing this for God, and what am I doing? And he began a deeper interior life. He didn't go off and become a Carmelite. That wasn't his call. Beautiful vocation, but that wasn't his call. He began a deeper interior life. Prayer, spiritual direction, love for the Eucharist, love for Our Lady. I mean, he's already a Catholic young man. But something stirred in, in his heart. He, he called them baruntos and in Spanish, uh, intimations of the heart. And he, he asked the Lord to, to see, Domine ut vidium, Lord, that I may see. He wanted to see the will of God. And with time, the Lord would show him specifically on October 2nd, 1928, while making retreat, he saw 
the plan that God had for him, in his case, to found Opus Dei. He was a young priest. Um, no, yeah, no important position or anything, no financial stability. And here is God calling him to found Opus Dei. He would often say, I had, all I had was my 26 years, the grace of God, and a sense of humor. One of his biographers said, we would add as well, an open and outgoing personality, an ability to communicate, priestly zeal, dedication to the point of exhaustion, a deep interior life, and habitual presence of God. Well, yes, that is a nice description of the life, the way of St. Jose Maria. But in his humility, he was, I said, my 26 years, the grace of God, and a sense of humor. He'd also say about himself, I'm just a poor sinner, madly in love with Jesus Christ. That too can be a good, I said, point of uh, reflection for us in our prayer. Am I madly in love with Jesus Christ? Uh, yes, we're sinners. That, that part we got down, I'm sure. Just poor, we're just a poor sinner. Right? We're just poor sinners. But let's strive. Lord, give me love. Increase my love. I want to be madly in love with you, Jesus. And well, that, that, that's sanctity. Here, again, the month of June, we could say the month of St. Josemaria, June 26. We, it's nice to celebrate the saints, in his case, June 26, this feast day. But I, I don't think the point of saints is that we, in a certain sense, put them up on a pedestal as some sort of, I don't know, faraway um, icon of, of uh, a way to live. No, no, just... In a certain sense, I think we have to bring the saints down to earth and, and learn from them. We'll certainly count on their intercession. They are in heaven, and they, they love us. St. Josemaria loves us. He's praying for us, to be sure. But we can also benefit so much just to ponder their lives and, 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 and certainly apply it to our own lives. I mean, okay, I'm not called to found any organization, most likely. But can I strive for those characteristics of a saint, the characteristics of St. Josemaria, deep interior life, deep love for God, an open personality, cheerfulness, willingness to suffer, to sacrifice? That's the life of a saint, and we can all strive for that. We can all allow that to happen in our lives if we strive to be generous and humble. And yes, have a good effect on others. Those apostles, Jesus said to them, you will be fishers of men. It's not just your own little sanctity that you have to be concerned about. You have to be fishers of men. You have to help others discover this adventure. You have to help others dance with God. Is that happening in the lives of of our friends, of our family members. And we, don't, we don't have to be Superman or the, or the life of the party or 
you know, always having this the perfect phrase and the family group you know, text or, or whatnot. But hopefully they'll benefit from our, you know, our, our conversations, our, our service, our smile, if that be the case. And then hopefully, just like those footprints in the snow affected that young Jose Maria, well, maybe our lives will have a good effect on those around us. And certainly, again, in the life of St. Jose Maria, so many people benefited from his effort to truly strive to be a saint. He received a letter from a priest friend early on in, 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 during the time of the um, Spanish Civil War, in this case, March of 1938. A priest friend, Don Antonio Rodilla, wrote a letter to him and in that letter, among other things, he said to Father Jose Maria, his friend, I want you to infect me with your madness. And it's quite a compliment. I want you to infect me with your madness. This other priest saw something in, in Father Jose Maria. He, there's a holy envy. I want that. He, that, that priest, Jose Maria, I, that madness that... As he would say about himself, I'm just a madman. I'm just a sinner madly in love with Jesus Christ. That other priest, I want that. I want you to infect me with that. Well, St. Josemaria is certainly willing, now from heaven, to infect us with his madness. So it's, it's good to go to his intercession. So many people have benefited from the life of St. Josemaria, those who lived with him. I, I never met St. Josemaria myself, but during my studies in Rome, I met quite a few people who did. And it's impressive to hear the stories. It's a family, Opus Day is a family. Just to hear the stories of uh, their encounters, their life with St. Josemaria. And it's not like he, these incredible stories of, um, I don't know, some sort of great feats that, that, that he did, or know, miracles that he pulled off, or it just, just, just there's the, the, the joy of his everyday life, his care for, for others. Of course, they saw his zeal, his, his willingness to sacrifice, and, and yes, there were, I guess, mystical things about his life that you know, people knew about. That, but just the point that they emphasize is his, his genuine love for God, his genuine love for neighbor. They didn't make him some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know surreal type of uh, you know, person, priest. No, he, just, they, he was just a lot of fun to be around. And sometimes we might think of the saints, oh, I wouldn't want to be around him or her. He was, I'd, I'd feel so, I don't know, uh, small or sinful. Well, no, people, again, that's the sense I got talking to people, listening to people who lived with St. Josemaria. Just, just great to be around. Yes, a man who danced with God, and I suppose a man who, if needed, danced with others. Don Alvaro, who worked alongside of him for so many years, blessed Alvaro, felt ill. He, he, he fell ill, and, and to cheer him up a bit, St. Josemaria danced to help him to laugh a little bit. A great sense of service, a sense of humor, of optimism. We see in the lives of the saints, and certainly, that was the case of St. Josemaria, who saw the goal, saw the, the mission that God had given him and dedicated himself completely.
completely to that. We can't really speak about Saint Josemaria without speaking about Opus Dei. That, that, that became his life to help others discover God. Well, in his own words, he says it so beautifully in one of his homilies. Understand this well. There's something holy, something divine, hidden in the most ordinary situations. And it is up to each one of you to discover it. And that's the way we can try to be a saint. That's within, within our reach. It's, it's, yeah, it requires self-sacrifice, the presence of God, the narrow gate. But we can try to discover that something holy, that something divine hidden in the most ordinary situations. We discover the invisible God in the most visible and material things. There is no other way. Either we learn to find our Lord in ordinary everyday life, or else we shall never find him. Again, we're just in the ordinary things, we can strive for holiness. We can find God there. Little things. A little thing done for love is worth so much, he would say. And again, we can examine ourselves a bit here in this time of prayer. Do I discover God in those uh, invisible uh, or visible material things? Do I realize that the hand of God, usually in the contradictions, it might be a little more difficult to see God there. Somehow God is here. Wait, God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Or why are you doing this to me, we might think. Eh, well, it's a bit of a human outlook. Yes, we suffer. And, and if we get cut, we bleed. I mean, yes, we, you know, we're not naive. But we have to be supernatural. And, and we have to strive to discover the invisible God and the most visible Immaterial things. And those little details in work done for love. It's the order in my room, the order in my desk. Um, there's a chance there for holiness. My schedule during the day, staying on time, especially when it involves others who might be waiting for me, there's a chance for holiness there. Saying thank you to someone who. It helps us out a bit. Just a little detail like that. Things of courtesy, of, of respect, of dignity, of equality. Just Yes, these are ways of a Christian. They have to be. And we have to strive to discover God there. That's in, in a certain ways, the message of St. Josemaria and, and his call for holiness ordinary life, and yes, being fishers of men, going out, thinking of others, getting out of ourselves, being of service to those around us. Helping people to find peace. Being humble. One of the, one of the accounts of a persons, one of the testimonies of someone who knew St. Josemaria, in this case, Bishop Jose Lopez Ortiz, He remembered this little event in the life of St. Josemaria that, that he shared with him. On one occasion, I was shown an internal document of the Falange, Franco's party, in which he was grossly slandered. Father Josemaria was slandered in this document. 
I considered it my duty to show him this document which a friend had lent me. The attacks were so savage that I could not keep myself from crying as he calmly read those sheets. He finished reading, and seeing me so upset, he burst out laughing, saying, Don't worry, Pepe, because everything they say here is false, thank God. But if they knew me better, they could have said far worse things, because I am nothing but a wretched sinner who is madly in love with Jesus Christ. Instead of tearing up that string of insults, he gave the papers back to me so that my friend could return them to party headquarters, which was where he had taken them from. Take them, he said, and give them to your friend so that they cannot put them back, uh, so that they can, he can put them back, and that way they won't start persecuting him. <laughs> the humility of St. Josemir, who's reading slanders about his own life, and he bursts out laughing. And, and, and it's not just humility. It seems to me there's a charity here. Seeing his friend, later Bishop Jose Lorpes Ortiz, distraught over those, those uh, slanders, and he puts him at ease. He laughs, don't worry, don't worry, Pepe. Well, do I discover the invisible God and the most visible and material things? Sometimes very difficult things. Do I, dis- do I find God in the cross? The little crosses that come my way in daily life. There too, St. Maria had a real devotion to the Holy Cross, to the sacred heart of Jesus. He felt loved by God. Well, let's strive in our own way to sanctify these ordinary things of life. And always with great joy. St. Josemaria had that sense of optimism, uh, <laughs> sense of humor. Again, that talking to people who knew him, there's this, this joy just being around him. Again, putting people at ease. Um, you know, being able to forget about himself and put himself in the shoes of the other. When he went to Mexico in 1970 to pray there at the Villa, the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, asking Our Lady for her intercession for the church, for the work. The members of Opus there, the members of Opus Dei there, were taking care of him. This is 1970. He would die in 1975. Uh, is his health sometimes precarious? In any case, Don Pedro Casiaro was the vicar of Opus Dei in Mexico at the time. He he asked the administration, the, the staff, to have orange juice constantly available, so that the father. Father Jose Maria wouldn't get ill. He was constantly putting a glass of orange juice into St. Jose Maria's hand during this trip, apparently. This is his days there in Mexico. Finally, Father Jose Maria, Monsignor Scriba, said, I walk down a hallway, I drink orange juice. I leave a room, I drink orange juice. I do this to my arm, and giving a squeezing motion, and out comes orange juice. He's poking fun a bit at uh, Don Pedro, 
who was constantly giving him this orange juice to, you know, as, a, as, a, as a health uh, precaution in his, his eyes. And, uh, but nothing phased Don Pedro. He kept doing it. You know, father, orange juice, orange juice. And after the father departed Mexico, safe and sound, Don Pedro was so happy. See, it worked. And he was serious. <laughs> it worked. Well, see the humor of St. Josemaria, but also just the humility. Okay, they want me to drink orange juice. Okay. I'm not going to put up a fight or, or, or yeah, go do research on whether orange juice really helps or not. No, just, okay, I'll, I'll drink the orange juice. But who knows, perhaps there's a mortification for him. Well, what a great saint we all have interceding for us from heaven. He said, when I die, I'll be able to do much more from heaven. And that certainly is the case. We see the uh, favors that come in. I work in the office of the cause for saints and get favors coming in from all over the world. And quite often, they're just little favors. It's not that there's a huge miracle every time someone prays to the, for the intercession of St. Josemaria. It's just little things in family life. I remember hearing a, a fellow mention that his, you know, he's a, going through a tough time in his marriage. Been married 20 years, things were shaky, and he went to talk to a friend at the center of Opus Dei. And this friend of his said, well, here, here's a prayer card of St. Josemaria. Pray to St. Josemaria. And he did. He t- took that advice seriously. He really prayed. He asked St. Josemaria to intercede for him and his wife. And things got better. He's so happy. He's in, in, just bringing her some flowers. I mean, it, it, it takes a whole long process. It takes humility and virtue, of course, and effort on, on, on both both parties, but from both parties. But the saints want to help. If St. Josemaria wants to help, we should seek the intercession, intercession of the saints. And, and certainly, you know, St. Josemaria helping us in the middle of the world in our work. And I, I, what a great treasure, really. There's so many lessons. We, we should finish the meditation now, this time of prayer, but so many. Uh, angles, we can say, looking at the life of the saint who danced with God, who was so joyful in his service to God, who suffered so much for God. Well, one of those angles, if I kind of put it that way, is his love for the Blessed Virgin. He said, don't imitate me in anything. If you do, let it be in my love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he would go to her, like he did in Mexico and so many other places, so many shrines, and just in his own interior life, he would go to Mary with um, great trust, great love, and we would do well to do the same. And during those times, those days in Mexico, 1970, he met with a large number of diocesan priests in the center of Opus Dei near Guadalajara on occasion. He had a long and lively meeting with them, but it was so hot that he ended up exhausted. Father Alvaro convinced him to go away and have a little rest. He lay down a while to rest. He noticed that 
in front of his bed, there was a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe in which the Blessed Virgin was offering a rose to the Indian, Juan Diego. That is the way I would like to die, he murmured, looking at the Blessed Virgin and with her giving me a flower. That's pretty much the way it happened. You look at uh, the moment of his death, there's an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe there in, his, in the room he was in in Rome. Well, he, he longed to see the Lord's will, dominate with vidium, Lord, that I may see, during his early life and then throughout his life, Lord, that I may see, I want to do your will. And he wanted to be with God forever. That was another phrase, aspiration he would use, especially toward the end of his life. Lord, I long to see your face. Well, now, a saint, Jose Maria, he's constantly gazing upon the face of God. And, and our Blessed Mother and all the saints are right there with them. Well, let's let's uh, follow that way. And wherever God calls us, the place, the way, our background, our talents, our, our struggles, but let's strive for that, to, yes, to, to die. To die in grace. To die loving God. To die a madman to die dancing with God, to die with our Blessed Mother handing us a flower. That's, that's faith. That's not just pious talk. We have to try to live the way of a saint. Well, we can certainly count on the help of St. Josemaria, who gave his whole life to God. He left everything and followed him. And Lord, we, we will try to do the same. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Now we are going to listen to a talk given by a layman that addresses a very practical aspect of our Christian life. This month's topic for the talk in the recollection is forgiveness, and I will start quoting the gospel according to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and following. Then Peter, approaching, asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus explains his response in his usual fashion with a parable. There was a servant owing a huge amount to his Lord, such a big amount that it couldn't be paid by, by any means in life. So, but the Lord, in this parable, forgives the debt to that servant. However, that servant finds later a fellow who owes him a much lower quantity, and he treats him with cruelty. The Lord ends up punishing the servant for not being merciful with his fellow, as his Lord was with him. Uh, Jesus not only spoke with, about forgiveness with fictitious stories, he gave his own life to bring forgiveness of sins for all humanity. Actually, when he was being nailed in the cross, 
so much unfairly treated by men, he asked the father to forgive his executioners as they don't know what they are doing. Forgiveness, as shown in the life and teaching of Christ, is a manifestation of love, of the love we owe, we owe to one another. It is based on the infinite mercy God has with us as debtors and one of the requirements to imitate Christ. Furthermore, lack of forgiveness, as shown in, in the parable, or lack of forgiveness to others, make us despicable before God. To help us remember frequently these truths, our Lord mentioned forgiveness in the prayer he taught to us, the Our Father, which we recite um, so frequently, and, and which, which says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How many times should we forgive others and to which extent? So Jesus himself sets the standard and practice it with us. We should forgive as many times as needed. We should forgive up to give our lives for the others. So uh, how can we live forgiveness in our daily life? First of all, experiencing more actively the forgiveness that God grants to us. Frequent examination of conscience and acts of sorrow make us more aware of how much we offend God, how much we owe God, and how much He loves us as well. The sacrament of penance, confession, is the most powerful resource Christ left to us to forgive our sins and experience God's mercy. Let us make the resolution to take the best advantage of this sacrament with more reason if we have been deprived of, of the sacrament of confession for a long time during the, the COVID-19 lockdown. So let's be, let's be eager to go back to confession as soon as possible and, and to experience God's mercy. And, 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 and let's strive to go immediately to confession if we happen to commit a mortal sin but also to going frequently uh, to confession with our venial sins, to make this an explicit act of sorrow and receive the grace and forgiveness from God. Additionally, Pope Francis uses to talk about three words that should be always in our daily vocabulary, especially among those with which we convive more closely in our household, among our friends, in our workplace, but with all people around us. These three words are thank you, please, and I'm sorry. Asking for forgiveness for our mistakes, misunderstandings, mistreatment of others is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of, of empty humiliation. It, it's rather an act of caring. It's an act of love, providing it's sincere. Pride is the enemy of forgiveness. It tends to make us think that um, what, that things that, that go wrong are always other person's fault. Pride also makes us to, to, to invent excuses to justify our actions, our mistakes, and not acknowledge our faults. So let's also forgive uh, hurtfully others, getting rid of resent, defamation, and avoiding judging others' intentions, we have to remember that we can judge um, we can judge acts, but we cannot know 
what's in the heart, what's in the mind of, of, of each person. Only God knows, so only God can ultimately judge um, the, the, the intentions and judge what's, what's behind the actions from others. And, and let's, let's be aware of the, yeah, of the fact that we, we are also capable of, of, of all sins. We are capable of all mistakes. So forgiving others is also uh, a reminder that we are not better than, than, than others. And finally, living forgiveness in our daily life in, in, this, in, in these ways, being, being, uh, being eager to say sorry, being uh, quick to forgive others. Uh, if we all strive to, to live this way, we'll make our society more just. In these days, we are experiencing, especially here in the United States, the, fruit, the fruits of hate and discrimination. And we face the risk of widening these, wound, these wounds in our society if we don't put charity in our strife for justice. So ultimate justice belongs to, belongs to God and will be, will, and, and God will, will bring ultimate justice um, after the ends of times. That doesn't mean that we don't have to strive for, for, for a just society and we have to. Um, but yeah, remembering that we are all sinners and 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 that um, and that we are not to judge the intentions of of people. And forgiveness is not an excuse to justify evil. Some people, some intellectual or something people may argue that Christianity is weak because it focuses too much on 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 forgiveness, on mercy. And, and 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 doesn't focus in 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 social justice or in 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 punishing punishing those who who do evil and this is not the this is not the true meaning of of, of christian forgiveness christian forgiveness should go with the hand with of, of of justice we we are to bring justice with 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 charity and, and looking forward not to the to the to the condemnation of people, but looking forward to, to redemption, because let's remember that we we are all sinners, that we are we are not blameless uh, before God and Jesus, and God Jesus who is God the Son, knowing that we are so evil doers, He wanted to be our friends, he, our, our friend. He wanted to be our brother, and He give up his his life for for us so we are if if jesus did that for us we also have to be to be able to 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 forgive others and forgiveness is the christian framework to bring justice and redemption uh, to the world as in opus day and around opus day we have saint jose maria as a role model and teacher of sanctity and is the saint, Saint Jose Maria is the saint of ordinary life. We can learn from his life and teaching how to practice forgiveness. And Saint Jose Maria was indeed a, a human uh, like us and had to forgive and ask for forgiveness very frequently. Those who, who know him, those who have written about his life, 
report how frequently and how eager was uh, San Jose Maria to ask for forgiveness all the times that he he realized that he have treated other people unfairly or or he had used maybe well uh, strong reactions mm -hmm. or or wherever and 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 he did that very very quickly and 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 with humility he was not ashamed to recognize his faults and sought quickly for confession and the forgiveness from others he he um he proposed and 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 and, and he lived the 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 practice of frequent confession because he was aware of of his of his condition as as a sinner before before God and and, and wanted to, to also to 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 receive the grace to receive the mercy from God very frequently and and taught us to 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 go to frequent confession and he also he also yeah as I say was was very very quick to very quick to 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 seek for forgiveness from others and also to to forgive and 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 he had a lot to to forgive forgive in his life he he was very very f frequently um uh calumniated by by other people especially during the the civil war in spain he had to to suffer persecution and 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 he even after the war he was he was um proposing and and he was living forgiveness with with also with the, with the people who who a few years before were persecuting him so actually saint jose maria to say at least once that he didn't need to learn to forgive as god has taught taught him how to love so that person that strives to 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 love more and more who um learns from the love of of jesus and lives in the love of jesus and tries to and try to practice love with 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 others the love of jesus um doesn't need to to learn as explicitly how to forgive because forgiveness it will be a natural part of 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 their loves and let's seek the intercession of saint jose maria now that we are his his feast on june 26 is drawing near to live forgiveness better in our lives and and let's let's um yeah um learn from 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 the example of saint jose maria and, and and other saints to 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 live forgiveness as jesus taught us to to live forgiveness A recollection is a good opportunity to get to know ourselves. With that goal in mind, we are going to listen to a series of questions. After each question, we are invited to examine our lives in silence. Let's start by asking the Holy Spirit for light. I believe that in baptism God the Father is taking possession of my life, incorporating me into the life of His Son Jesus Christ, sending me the Holy Spirit. Each morning do I offer my life to God.
do I realize that the Christian life obliges me to have a continuous dialogue with the triune God, and that it is the Holy Spirit that leads me to the joy of that meeting. led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Is it clear to me that the effectiveness of my struggle comes mainly from letting the Holy Spirit act in my soul? Do I pray for light to see what God is asking of me at each moment and for the strength to carry it out? Do I seek the intercession of St. Maria, the saint of ordinary life, to bring liveliness and joy to my family, my work, and my relaxation? Am I familiar with his life, and do I reflect on his writings? Do I ask St. Jose Maria to help me lo- love my friends more and to, see- and to speak to them boldly about God? Can I spread devotion to this saint and make his writings known? Am I trying to apply his teachings to my own life? Our Lord says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do I pray that in spite of all small daily troubles, there will always be a tangible spirit of serenity and true affection in my home? 
do my family members and friends know that they are truly loved and understood simply by the way I listen to them? Do I realize how great a danger pride is? In matters that are not important, do I give in? Do I say I'm sorry when I have lost my temper or been impatient, untidy, or lazy? Do I do something to make sure these things do not happen again? Charity consists not so much in giving as in understanding. Often the gift friends and family members appreciate most is not something material, but the time and attention that we could give to them. Do I listen with real interest or do I show indifference? Do I look for the best way and the right moment to speak to them? In this month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, am I asking our Lord to give me a good heart that is capable of compassion for the sorrows of others?
Do I go to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, so that she may lead me to the most sacred and merciful heart of Jesus? We can end our examination of conscience by telling God that we are sorry for our sins and thanking Him for His merciful love. This recollection will end as it began, with a meditation led by a priest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We are now in the season of graduations, and what a strange season this is, because practically every university in the world, or at least in this country, is closed, as are most high schools. And so students around the world, seniors, are not able to participate in their own graduation, at least not physically. My little brother just graduated from college last week, and so how did he celebrate this event? How did my family celebrate this as, as they were unable to go physically to his campus? There was no ceremony at the university, no music, no crowds, no cheering, and so one could think, well, this is a real downer, right? This is unfortunate. But love finds a way, and it was beautiful to see how my parents and, and siblings and nieces and nephews, they all rallied to create a graduation for my brother in the backyard, in their own house. And uh, we all followed this ceremony via WhatsApp, and sure enough, they, they met in the backyard. Each family had their own picnic table, six feet apart from another, all sitting there in the garden. And they sang Pomp and Circumstance, that classic hymn for graduations, which many of you will know. And as they sang Pomp and Circumstance, my brother marched across the lawn wearing a little cap for his graduation. My father handed him his diploma. And my father even gave a very formal speech, kind of exaggerating the formality. While my mother looked on, it was very, it was very moving. And all of us could follow this graduation from afar. 
People were following it from Rome, London, California, Texas. What an image, right? This image of unity despite separation. A physical separation which was quite dramatic. My brother was physically separated from his classmates. He was separated from his campus, from his teachers. He was separated from our relatives, his siblings. And yet, unity finds a way. Unity finds a way to overcome these barriers and remain united. And that begs the question, and this is a question we ask you, Lord, here during this recollection, during this time of extended prayer over the next few hours, we're going to spend time in silence with God, and we ask you, Lord, the following question. Where does unity truly lie? What is at the source of unity? Is it something merely physical, being all physically together in one place? Obviously, we desire this, and every family wants this. Every family wants to be physically in the same house. But where is unity, where is its essence? Is it merely physical? Or rather, is true unity a unity of hearts and minds, a unity of wills and desires, what we could call a spiritual unity. This is what we celebrate with Pentecost. Right? Pentecost is the great arrival of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity. And in this event, we see the manifestation of God's power as a unifier. God is one. And through God's power, through his spirit, he brings together all into one. Pentecost is especially dramatic because we see in the narrative this hodgepodge of different people, right? All these different people from different races, different languages. They've all come to Jerusalem for the festival And in a miraculous way, through what is called the gift of tongues, all of them understand the apostles in their own language. It's it's really a striking thing. We can read here this narrative. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... A sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them, to the apostles, right, to the twelve apostles, with Our Lady, with the holy women, the disciples. There appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All of the nations were gathered in this moment for Pentecost, for the feast, this Jewish feast in Jerusalem. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all of these who are here speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. These are places, some that we don't even recognize anymore. They've come and gone. Egypt, parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans from the island of Crete, Arabians. It's such a hodgepodge of different people, of different cultures, different walks of life, different races. We all hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean, Lord? We can ask the same question as we meditate on the mystery of the, of the Holy Spirit. What St. Josemaria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, used to call el gran desconocido, the great unknown. This aspect of God, the, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, which to our minds perhaps is the most mysterious. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does this mean, this action of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Well, one clear action of the Holy Spirit is that he unifies. He brings together this myriad group of people and he creates a unity. In fact, the church is born, we could say at least visually, on Pentecost Sunday. The church is born in this moment when the apostles preach and the first people are baptized. This unity in which each person hears the same message in their own language. Peter's discourse concerning Jesus Christ is conveyed to all of these different people in a single reality, which brings about conversion. And they all ask for the same thing. Right? So all of these different people, what do they ask for? They ask for baptism. They're so moved by the message of Jesus Christ that they want to convert. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this is incredible. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. From disunity, from separation, from a group of people that were barely related to one another, is born the family of the church. 3,000 souls who are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, Lord, you bring about the birth of the church. The miracle of Pentecost is a miracle of unity. 
in which the Holy Spirit forms the family of God, a family that is united not so much by physicality. In this moment, they're all together, but they will soon be spread out all over the world. They will go back to their respective countries, to their respective cultures. But now they're a family, a spiritual family, the family of Jesus Christ, in which they, they, they have one heart, one mind. This is the goal of every family. And going back to that image of graduation, right, that graduation of my brother, on that, in that moment, each of us, spread throughout the world, were united in one heart and one mind. This is the goal of every family. This is the goal of every marriage. One of the talk in today's recollection will be on the beauty of marriage, the unity of marriage. Many of you are married. Many of you struggle to live unity with your spouse. This too is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's something that we can ask right now. Lord, help me to be more united to my spouse. The unity of the church, the unity of each family, that is a reflection of the unity of God himself. Here we have our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament. When we imagine God, when we reflect upon the reality of God, God is one. God is three in one. Three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God. It is a community of persons that is so intense that it is a singularity. It is a unity. And in fact, the Holy Spirit expresses the unity between the Father and the Son. The love between the Father and the Son is a bond that is the Holy Spirit. God is love. God is the love between the Father and the Son. God is the unity between the Father and the Son, which is the Holy Spirit. And when we speak of the unity amongst ourselves, when we speak of being united one to another, when during this COVID crisis, we are physically separated and yet spiritually united, that unity is a reflection of God himself. When Jesus speaks to the apostles in the upper room, he tells them as much. He tells the 12 apostles that they may be one just as you, Father, and I are one. That's a pretty high bar to reach. And Lord, isn't it true that so often we suffer from divisions? We suffer from divisions within our families. Arguments, disagreements, tensions, judgments. How easily we lose our patience with people. How easily we can allow ourselves to be separated from one another in our hearts. And yet Jesus over and over again, re-invites us to the unity that he has with the Father, that they may be one as you, Father, and I are one. Lord, we want this unity. And the Holy Spirit is our ally, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who unites. This is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Compendium, which is a wonderful book, right? So this is like a, it's a summary of the Catechism. It's a lot thinner than that thick tome of the Catechism, and so it's a very useful way to quickly review the truths of the faith. And so what does the compendium tell us about the Holy Spirit? To believe in the Holy Spirit is to profess faith in the third person of the Most Holy Trinity, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son and is worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. That, of course, is from the Creed. The Spirit is sent into our hearts so that we might receive new life as children of God. The Holy Spirit is the proper name of the third person of the Most Holy Trinity. Jesus also called him the paraclete, the paraclete, which means the consoler, also the advocate. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. In other moments of the scripture, he's referred to as the spirit of Christ, the spirit of glory. And what does the Holy Spirit do in the church? Here, the Catechism says, the Spirit builds, animates, and sanctifies the church. As the Spirit of love, he restores to the baptized the divine likeness that was lost through sin and causes them to live in Christ the very life of the Holy Trinity. Right, so in baptism, each of us is restored to that divine image. Right? We were made in the image and likeness of God. And the Holy Spirit introduces us into this life of the Holy Trinity. We're introduced into, the, we could say, the home of this family of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we become part of that family. One heart and one mind. This is what we're after. And the Holy Spirit works as the sanctifier. He stitches together the broken pieces of our soul. He stitches together the broken parts of our family. In a way, the event of Pentecost is like the reversal of the event of Babel. You'll remember from the Old Testament that really enigmatic story. It's very hard to understand the story of the the origins of the races and how originally there was a single language spoken by mankind and then with the event of Babel there becomes there, there, there arises this disunity this separation right the, the, the people of Babel try to build a tower to the, to the heavens it's an act of their, of their pride and so God punishes them by creating confusion of languages. They said, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Let us go down and therefore confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the name is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. This is the reality of a broken world of a fallen world, a divided world in which people do not understand one another, in which there is this separation, both physical and spiritual. 
But then the promise of salvation. Jesus comes to reinvite the people of God into a unity. In fact, this begins already in the Old Testament. Israel is invited to be a light for the nations, to bring the nations back to a unity, to a unity in God, centered on the temple, the worship of the temple. Lord, you desire for all mankind to come back into a single family, to speak a single language. And this is what we celebrate in the church, right? The church is a light to the nations. The church is Catholic, Catholic, which means universal. It's not meant for a specific race, for a specific culture, but rather for all peoples at all times. One people, one faith, one baptism. Lord, we desire this unity and we know what disunity is all about. So many of us have the, well, we all have the experience of sin. But what happens when we sin? When we commit sin, there is a kind of disunity in our soul. Our soul is broken up into pieces. Namely, we cut off ties with the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. We turn away from him. And so there is a division in our soul because we are made in the image and likeness of God. But then our heart, in a sense, disintegrates and we die. Separation is what happens in an organism when he no longer has life. The organism breaks down into parts. You can imagine a carcass, right? A carcass of an animal that is no longer alive, it starts to break up into pieces. And in fact, it eventually disintegrates into the earth. Whereas a living creature is alive, it is united, it is a single organism. Bishop Barron, he speaks about this. He speaks about how the devil, the father of lies, he wants to divide people. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide the soul. He said, this is Bishop Barron, the diabolic is literally a scattering power. In Greek, to scatter is diabalen. Sin separates us from one another, but it also divides us interiorly, setting one part of ourselves against another. We've all experienced this. Our minds become divided, our wills are split. And our emotions, our passions, militate against our deepest convictions. Haven't we all had this experience where we know the truth of something and yet our passions are pushing us in the opposite direction? We feel like we're getting tugged apart. We're being pulled apart into pieces. The brokenness of the soul. There's also the brokenness of communities. This was the danger of the early church. Heresies arose right away in the first years of the church. And there was a danger that, that the apostles themselves would split into factions. And Paul worried about this, right? The fact that there were like these, these camps. Well, I am of Apollo. I am of John. I am of Paul. And Paul said, no, no, no. We are all of Christ. We are a single family. 
Paul may sow, Apollo may reap, but it is Christ who brings about the growth. And that's precisely what the devil wants. The devil wants the early church to fall apart. The devil wants the church in every age to fall apart, to split into factions, that we bicker amongst ourselves. I remember I'm from a very large family, and sometimes at the dinner table, perhaps this is familiar to you all, we would start to argue amongst the siblings, right? So we'd be there at the table, and something would come up, and so we would start bickering, right? Going back and forth, and the tension would start to increase until my father would just kind of pop the bubble and say, stop bickering like a bunch of old ladies. He was pointing out to us the pathetic nature of our conversation, that we were falling into factions, we were falling into petty disagreements, And in a way, my father was defending the unity of the family. This, of course, is the work of the Holy Spirit. We could say that, in a way, the Holy Spirit and the devil are battling against one another for the family of the church. The devil wanting to destroy the family through disunity, and the Holy Spirit wanting to build up the family through unity. What is the fruit of Pentecost Sunday? What happens in this miracle of languages? It's really very powerful. Peter addresses the crowd. They decide to be baptized. And then how does Luke describe this new family, the family of the church? So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And this is beautiful. All who believed were together, right? They were together, united. And had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. A single enterprise. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the church, Lord. This is the church of every age, or at least we want it to be. In a sense, what is described here is a healthy family, a family that eats together, that prays together, that helps each other out, that is attentive to those who are weaker, those who are suffering. They pull together as a single unity, a single enterprise, a single mission. That is the fruit of Pentecost Sunday. Who pulls together all of this? I'm always amazed by seamstresses, right? by those women, well, and also perhaps some men, who are experts in sewing and knitting. When I was in Rome, I would sometimes, uh, well, my, my clothes would get torn, 
And I was amazed at the women of Opus Dei who would, 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 would mend that, that clothing, what artistry they had. It was as if the, torn, the tear had never existed. Right? They, they were managed to, to bring that fabric back together with such perfection that it looked like new. It looked original. You could barely see where the damage had been. Right? The, the seamstress has this, this, uh, this skill right? to, to bring back together what is torn. That's an image of the Holy Spirit. But we could also say that it's an image of Our Lady. Right? Our Lady, her role in the early church is a role of cohesion. Mary worries for her children. Right? She wants nothing more than for her children, the children of the church, to be united. And so she's there in the upper room, keeping the apostles together, perhaps diffusing any bickering that emerges, any arguments. She reminds them of the truth of her son. She prepares them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure Mary was also a good seamstress, but she would have mended the clothes of her son. May she mend the fabric of our family. May she mend the fabric of the church. May she mend the fabric of each of your marriages. Place yourselves under, under the protection of Our Lady, and you'll see that she helps in the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one, in the end, who unites. But Mary is there interceding on our behalf. Ask the Queen of Heaven that she assist in the unity of the Church, that we may be one as the Father and the Son are one. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. That's all for this month. Stay tuned for our next monthly recollection. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please, don't forget to share it with friends. Thanks for listening.